Hopefully everyone has a worship guide in hand. On the back middle portion, if you turn there, you'll see the, the three scriptures on which the sermon this morning will be based. Normally we're just based out of one text, one book, but we're doing a, a bit of an, a different thing over the next five weeks. Uh, last week was week one, this is week two, uh, and we're calling this series The Pilgrim Life, Walking Through This World with Jesus. Uh, if you missed the introduction, I'm Mike, I'm the pastor here, it's my privilege, it's my joy to be able to open God's word uh, with you all. Um, a note on this series, just uh, so you know what's going on, during Jesus' earthly ministry, uh, he issued a call to anyone who would hear him to follow him. That was his message wherever he, wherever he went. He would look at people and he would say, follow me. He was calling them to leave their former ways of living, to follow him on a narrow, often difficult path to eternal life. This is the pilgrim life. Jesus calls people off of the broad, easy, but broken ro road that the world tells us life can be found on, the road that pursues wealth and image and success and power and pleasure. Jesus warns people on that road, as, as many of us have already experienced, that that road actually leads nowhere. It leads to disappointment. It leads ultimately to destruction. It can't make good on the promises that it offers to us. The pilgrim life, this call of Jesus, is a way of living in this world without adopting the beliefs, practices, and values of this world. It's living in this world with the next world firmly stamped on our eyes, firmly walking through this world knowing that heaven is our home. The pilgrim life, as we see in scripture and as we, many have experienced, it isn't easy. As we journey through life with Jesus, we find often the bitter comes before the sweet, the cross before the crown, the fierce battle before final victory. But, but this is Jesus' promise to those who would follow him. There is life, eternal life, lasting life, in all of its fullness, unending joy to those who would leave everything to follow him. And so that's what we're doing in, in this five-week series. We're looking at five different aspects of the pilgrim life. Last week, we looked at the first one. We called it pilgrim vision. The way pilgrims see the world and the road ahead is through God's word. As we read God's word, as we hear it being preached, as we study it, as we discuss it with each other, the scriptures are a lamp to our feet, a light to this very narrow path. We're in darkness unless God speaks to us, unless he tells us who he is, who we are, how we're to live. God's word is fully trustworthy, it's true, and it gives us this pilgrim vision. Today we're looking at the second aspect of the pilgrim life, pilgrim discipline. Pilgrim discipline. These are the practices that all pilgrims are, are, are to be trained in. Just for some context for the three different uh, uh, paragraphs that we're reading together, First Peter and Hebrew, they're written to very broad audiences, to churches in the ancient Roman world. First Timothy is also a very ancient letter written by the Apostle Paul to his young protege Timothy, fellow ministry worker, and he's giving him instructions on how he's to lead the churches that he's been charged with. So this is all God's word, all written to God's people. Uh, it's written for their benefit, but of course it's also written to us. So I'm going to invite Brittany forward. She's going to read uh, these three passages for us, and we're going to listen to God himself speak to us today. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 to 12. Beloved, I ur urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. 
I'm from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 to 10. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. And Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us again. Our Father, would you give us everything we need right now? Lead us where we should go, protect us from harm, both seen and unseen. Feed and strengthen us, your people, now by your words, these words which are the very bread of life to us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know if you heard kind of a consistent theme running through these three readings that we just had that describes a certain kind of disciplined lifestyle that God commands pilgrims to direct themselves towards. The pilgrim life of following Jesus, it may sound more like a boot camp than summer camp to you. Like it, it might sound more backbreaking than, than going spring breaking. As John Bunyan, who wrote the, uh, the book The Pilgrim's Progress, once put it, the pilgrim life is more like climbing up a ladder than rolling down a hill. And that's because one of the key aspects of the pilgrim life is pilgrim discipline. Living a life that's filled with intention practices, what we call spiritual disciplines, commended by God in his word. Things like regular Bible reading, prayer, fasting, service, generosity, fighting sin and temptation. The kind of disciplined life that all pilgrims, all followers of Jesus are called to adapt has, has a ready analogy, but not a perfect one, but a, but a really helpful one in the world of athletics. If you want to think about what pilgrim discipline looks like, you can look at... Um, you know, marathon runners, uh, weightlifters, top athletes in various sports, the kind of disciplined life that pilgrims must develop shares a close parallel to these. If you look at 1 Timothy, the text from 1 Timothy, the word for train or training, if you see it particularly there at the end of verse 7, where he says, train yourself for godliness, it comes from the Greek word gymnasia, which is, of course, where we get our English word gymnasium. This is the place, the arena, where we develop discipline and strength. Some translations just have verse 7 as discipline yourself for godliness. 
And if we were to keep reading uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, past verse 3, which is where our, our, our reading ended, uh, what we'd find is that uh, God our Father, he, he is at work to discipline us, to instruct us, to train us, to mold us in particular ways. Uh, verse 11 in particular says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Uh, so, so how are we to understand pilgrim discipline? And this is the outline that we, we'll be working through. What does this mean for you and I? It's this. Pilgrim discipline is hard work, is a means to godliness, and must be powered by joy. I'll say that again. Pilgrim discipline, this is the way we need to understand it, is hard work, is a means to godliness, and must be powered by joy. So let's take each one of those three, <coughs> each of those in part. First, the pilgrim, uh, that pilgrim discipline is hard work. Discipline is always hard. I hate to break it to you. It is hard work training yourself to live the kind of life that's filled with intention practices, denying yourself certain things that others indulge in, pushing yourself, being challenged when resting gives less resistance. This is hard. It's not easy. Again, the author of Hebrews the moment, for the moment, all discipline is painful rather than pleasant. The very language of uh, gymnasia, maybe you, maybe you cringed a little bit, that, the language that Paul's using in, in chapter 4, because you don't like the gym. This idea of sweating and grunting and wanting to give up and yet being pushed beyond what you think is possible. For most people, the gym is not an easy or comfortable place to be. If you look at uh, verse 10 of, of the letter to Timothy, he describes this training for godliness as toiling and striving. That sounds exactly what it sounds like. It means it's hard, it's difficult, it's grinding work. Developing pilgrim discipline is hard work. As we look through the three texts that we have in front of us, um, we see both negative and positive aspects to this hard work. First, negatively, in the text from 1 Peter, if you look at verse 11... Peter's writing to Christians that he describes as, again, we have to see it as sojourners and exiles. In the King James Version, just simply translated that as, as pilgrims, people who are never quite at home in this world, people who are following Jesus on the pilgrim path, journeying through this world to the next. And they have to live their lives not according with this world, but according to the mission and values of the kingdom of God. And so Peter here argues in, in verse 11, he urges them as pilgrims to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against you. Pilgrims will experience passions. Uh, passions mean powerful cravings. They mean deep desires, longings, lusts that we are called to abstain from. If you think of an athlete that has to stay, say no to all the comfort foods when they go home uh, when they because they have to keep an extremely strict diet. They have to cut out alcohol and soft drinks. They can't hit the snooze button when they want to sleep just 10 minutes longer. The hard work of pilgrim discipline includes, on this negative side, abstaining from many, many powerful urges that just hit us all day long. Things which God would describe as being destructive to us. In, in fact, the, the, the language from 1 Timothy is way stronger than that. More than just simply making us spiritually flabby, these passions are actively making war against our souls. They're lethal. They can't be trifled with any more than a snake. They threaten to destroy us now and forever by distracting and causing us to turn away from following Jesus. What are some of the things that Christian pilgrims are called to abstain from? 
Well, God's word, again, is a light to us. It shines light on these things. These things aren't mysteries to us. You can find lots of lists throughout uh, the scriptures on things that Christians must toil and strive to abstain from. Colossians chapter 3 is as good a place as any, giving us a a somewhat comprehensive list. Um, Paul there instructs Christians to abstain from sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, covetousness, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, lying. These are practices and attitudes and emotions and beliefs that God would tell us that we have to resist, that we have to put away, that we must abstain from. If you look at uh, the First Timothy section in verse 7, he tells us that we should also abstain from giving ear to irreverent, silly myths. There were stories and beliefs, there were philosophies and ideas about God and, and about human flourishing way back then as there are today, which are based in speculation not in truth. You don't have to be on on Instagram very long. You don't need to be on the internet very long to hear internet gurus or life coaches or influencers tell you how and where the good life is found. But Paul tells Timothy this, abstain from that. Don't give it an ear. Don't listen to them. Abstaining is negative, and yet at the same time, it's very hard work. It, It actually requires discipline and focus to resist to ignore things that the world advocates and sells to us and readily makes available 24 7 to us not only are we working against the world outside of us we're working against our own hearts which is just attracted to shiny things to new things to things that that excite us whether they're good for us or not so on this negative side there's hard work that pilgrims must do but positively there's hard work that pilgrims must do There's things that we must not do, but also things that we must do. The Christian life is certainly not just not doing certain things. Sometimes the Christian faith is simply seen as that. Christians are people who don't do a bunch of things, as opposed to a life that's lived positively in cultivating a deep life of discipline. In the section in 1 Peter, if you look at verse 12, he says we're to keep, to maintain uh, our conduct among the Gentiles. That's the way that Peter describes not an ethnic group, but people who aren't following Jesus currently. He tells these people to keep, maintain a life that's honorable, that's good, that's moral, that's beautiful, one that's, that's filled with positive good deeds. We're to build a life that doesn't have any obvious gaping moral holes that anyone passing by can easily point to. We're also called to build a life that's admirable, even to people who don't agree with us. This is proactive. This is the way that John Wesley, uh, a pastor from a long time ago, put it. He said, we're to live the kind of life that's committed to doing all the good we can, by all the means we can, in all the ways we can, in all the places we can, at all the times we can, to all the people we can, for as long as we can. Again, it's not a mystery, the positive things that we're to work towards as God's people. God's word shines light on these positive things. Again, Colossians 3 is helpful here as well. Paul lists things like compassionate hearts. It would be wonderful to be at a place where we are working hard to positively put on compassionate hearts. Kindness, humility, meekness, patience, that we are bearing with one another, forgiving each other as the Lord's forgiven us, putting on love, letting Christ's peace rule in our hearts, being thankful for all things. This is the good, true, beautiful life that pilgrims are to be trained into. And and we're also kind of on the opposite side of abstaining from bad teaching and, and false pictures of life. We're called to immerse ourselves in the scriptures and solid biblical teaching. If you look at verse six 
in the first Timothy section, verse 6. Paul tells Timothy, he's a teacher, he tells him to keep good teaching before his people all the time. If you put these things, that is the scriptures, the apostolic message that Timothy's charged with, if you set these things before the brothers, before the church, you'll be a good servant of Jesus Christ, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. And that phrase that he uses in verse 7, uh, be, being trained in, it doesn't have the same root gymnasia that we see in verse 7 and 8, but it's the, it's the root word uh, for nourishment. God's people need to not only abstain from spiritual junk foods, whatever that is, entertainment, social media, people and places that draw us away from the pilgrim life, uh, but positively, positively we're called to be nourished, to be fed with God's word, to be strengthened by it to be saturated in it, to marinate ourselves in it, to not dip our toes from time to time in God's word, but to be drenched in it. This is the kind of disciplined life we're called to. Remember this. It's easy for me to say this, but both the negative and positive sides of the pilgrim life are described by the scriptures, not just by our own experience, but in the Bible as being very, very hard work things that we are called to toil and strive for. They don't come to us naturally. This isn't going to be easy. It's, 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 it's going to be strenuous. It's going to be challenging. You will face, again, both internal and external resistance. You'll need constant vigilance and to be watchful over your life. You'll probably fail many times and need to get back up, to press on, to try again and again. And if you speak to any high-level athlete, they'll describe that's exactly what the disciplined life is. It's not perfection in a moment. It's steady growth, day by day, two steps forward, one step back, but eventual progression, maturity, learning through hard work and failure. And it's important that when we consider this pilgrim life, we're, we're not on our own doing it. If you think of a marathon where there's lots of people running together, part of that is the encouragement for all of us. We're not in this alone. In the weeks ahead, we'll actually be considering pilgrim friendship one of the most important aspects of this pilgrim life. We are walking this path with others. How essential it is to have these running mates, people who are grinding along with us, cheering us on. So that's the first aspect. The first part of pilgrim discipline is that it's hard work. We have to face up to this. The second thing that we have to see is that it's a means to godliness. Pilgrim discipline is hard work, and it's a means to godliness. Pilgrim discipline is meant to achieve a particular end. If you look at verse 7 from the First Timothy section, disciplined living, so both the positive and the negative aspects, this hard, challenging life, it actually isn't an end to itself. Discipline is a means to godliness, that is, to a life that's pleasing to God, that lives before the face of God, that honors God. But the presence and practice of discipline isn't actually godliness itself. This might take some thinking for you. So, so you could actually have the most rigid, scheduled Christian life that anyone's seen. You just blow people away. You are up reading the Bible at 4 a.m. and you are reading all 20 chapters of Brittany's Bible reading plan. You are, you are praying 12 times a day, three hours each one of those times. You've extended beyond the 24-hour cycle. It's a miracle. All of your money has been given away and you can still be a lost soul. Donald Whitney, he wrote a classic book called uh, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life about pursuing a godly life through the spiritual disciplines. Again, things like Bible reading, fasting, generosity. And this is what he writes. He says, let's be very clear on this point. The spiritual disciplines found in Scripture are not marks of godliness 
in and of themselves. The Pharisees, this is, a, this is a religious group that operated during the time of Jesus that often was in conflict with him, opposed him. The Pharisees diligently practiced many spiritual disciplines. They fasted twice a week. But Jesus considered them the epitome of ungodliness. The Pharisees, just as many people today, saw the, saw the disciplines as ends, not means. They mistook the practice of spiritual disciplines as godliness itself, not a path to godliness. Any practice that we can measure, time, count, is always subject to being wrongly equated with godliness. This is what Donald Whitney is warning us against. The goal in pilgrim discipline isn't simply being disciplined. Disciplined. It's not about outworking the people around you. It's about being godly, living before the face of God, being loved and known by God, to love and serve other people, to have a heart that's been softened by God's love for you. This is why we commit ourselves to the spiritual disciplines. This is how, this is, these are the things that God uses to grow us in godliness. It's amazing in the church how much a temptation it is to be a hypocrite. Been in the church long enough, you know that this is a, a, a temptation. To, to want to have the external looks of a very religious person, right? Uh, to, to, to lead from what looks like from the outside a very disciplined pilgrim life. There's, there's some sort of odd social status within the church for such people. We can live this very externally uh, um, disciplined looking life when our hearts are cold and far away from God. It's like the older brother in Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. Many Christians from the outside who regularly attend church, they serve in it, they aren't involved in any public scandals, they certainly look the part. They seem like everything's good. They honor God with their lips, and yet their hearts are far away. This is a shame to the church. This is a deadly temptation that each one of us needs to reckon with. This often leads to very public, very ugly scandals within the church that show that our external disciplines that they never went deep enough. They didn't lead us to the godliness that they were intended to bring us to. Now, the danger of externalism, some of you might be thinking, okay, maybe that means I don't actually have to work hard. I don't need to pursue this disciplined life. It didn't keep Jesus from fasting, right? It didn't keep Jesus from, from the disciplines, from working hard. Jesus was one who was saturated in the scriptures, who was dedicated to prayer. Uh, Whitney writes this, our call is to practice the biblical spiritual disciplines like Jesus, with the right motivation. What is your motivation for the disciplined life? This is where we're at with our outline. Pilgrim discipline is hard work. It's a means to godliness. But in order for discipline to be rightly motivated, it needs this third thing. It needs to be powered by joy. It has to be powered by joy. Pilgrim discipline is hard work. It's a means to godliness and must be powered by joy. In our Hebrews section, in, in chapter 12, the author demonstrates that Jesus led an incredibly disciplined life. He endured when others would quit. To be the savior of the world, to rescue people like us who are far away from him, Jesus suffered and bled in our place. He endured a life of hostility, not just at the end of his life, but for his entire life. He was hated wherever he went. He, he was hated by the ones that he came to save. And he didn't give up when it was difficult. He pressed on, he toiled, and he strived. How could Jesus endure such things? How could he see it through to the end? The motivation the author of Hebrews gives to us here, if you look at verse 2, <coughs> is very clear. It's for the joy that was set before Jesus. 
Jesus' discipline, his endurance, it wasn't motivated by raw duty, by externalism. That it was just the right thing to do. The hard thing was the right thing. He was, he was not motivated by those things. Rather, he was motivated by the great joy that was promised to him on the other side. What was that joy? The joy of being the savior of his people. This is what Jesus delights in more than anything. The joy of bringing people like you and me who are far away close. People who have no discipline, who do not work hard. No godliness to speak of. It's these people, you and I, that Jesus is filled with joy to rescue. This is Jesus' great delight. This is his great work. It's his joy to be the great shepherd to lost sheep, to be the healing physician to the sick, to offer all his strength to raise up the weak. Jesus didn't grumble and complain all the way up to the cross because this is who he is. This is why he endured the cross, not because he loved pain, not because he loved discipline, but because he loved you. Let's end with this. What about us? What motivates us in this life of discipline? Pressing through. Why are you here this morning? What, what, what brought you out of here? Was it, was it shame? Was it guilt? What motivates you? Why not stay in bed? Why not have a nap? Why not hit up brunch? Before, Jesus, before Peter gives instructions to the church, I want you to look at that section from First Peter, look at verse 11. Look at how he addresses the people that he gives these instructions to. He calls them what? He calls them beloved. Beloved. This is what this letter is addressed to, those who are loved. Now certainly, Peter's communicating his own affection for this church. He loves the church of Christ, but primarily this is a reminder of God's love for them. If you were to go right above uh, verse 11 in 1 Peter, Peter reminds this church about Christ's great love for them. Once you were not a people, he says, and now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And this is the joy that's meant to motivate us to live the pilgrim life of discipline, that we're the beloved of God, that you are loved, that when we were lost and walking in darkness, walking on that empty road and that broad road, pursuing popularity and pleasure and power, God sent his son to suffer at our hands in order to save us. We're not beloved by God and shown mercy because of our hard work, because of our godliness. No, God's love and mercy for us has come to us graciously and freely at great cost to Christ. And it's this love which is to be the joy and the fuel for us as we then go and work hard and we have a disciplined pursuit of godliness. If you think of discipline as the road and the destination is a godly life that's pleasing to God, the joy that comes from Christ's sacrificial love for us is the jet fuel that drives us down this road. The road of the pilgrim life is very long. It's something that needs to be endured often. But it's too long to just grin and bear it. We need help. Do you have this kind of joy, friends? Do you have this kind of motivation when things are tough, when you feel weary of doing good? What motivates you? When your life, when this Christian life feels more like climbing up a ladder and you'd rather be rolling down a hill, where do you turn? Look at verse 3 of the Hebrews text. This is what we're to do. This is what we're called to do, to consider Jesus, to meditate on Jesus. For the joy set before him, he endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that, for this reason, that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The secret to pilgrim discipline 
is joy. The secret to the pilgrim life is joy. The joy and confidence that we're beloved by God and will be his forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the great love that you've loved us with. Father, as we, as we consider the long road ahead of us, the many challenges that we face in our home, in our workplaces, in our schools, in this city, we ask that you would give us joy in knowing that we are beloved, that we are your people and that you are our God. Lord, for those who aren't sure, if, if this is the path that they want to walk on, would you, would you in mercy show them that life can't be found apart from you? Or would you be kind to disappoint them as they pursue the things that the world is pursuing, that they would see that it is empty and without final hope? And then in your love, would you show them your son who has come to rescue, to redeem, to restore, to give us life, life, eternal life. Lord, we ask for your mercy and your help now. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen.